Welcome to Activate Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you, and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Last week, we started a series, uh, and our series is uh, called How to Be Rich. Now, if you were not here, um, that's our series, How to Be Rich. If you weren't here, then you're probably not going to know what that really means. So let me take a moment to explain it so that you understand the title of this series. There are a lot of books out in the world that tell people how to get rich. Lots of secular material in the world about how to get rich. I don't want to tell you about how to get rich. I want to talk to you about how to be rich and what it really means to be rich towards God and what it means to be rich towards other people. I'm telling you right now, we learned some really interesting uh, pieces of information last year, uh, last last week, sorry, uh, that I think are, are worth reflecting on. Like, for example, if you earn over $46,000 in Australia, that puts you in the top 4% of earners globally. Shocking, but true. And in fact, whenever we consider, hey, do I ever feel rich? The answer almost always comes back, no. I bet you if I ask people in this room, do you feel rich? You would probably say no. But here's what we learned about being rich is that the idea or the concept of being rich is a very elusive idea. That's elusive for a number of reasons. One of the reasons that it's so elusive is that when studies have been done and people learnt, what, uh, were asked what it means to be rich, the, the statistically, it, the information came back that people think that rich is roughly double whatever they earn. So if you're a person with $25,000, you'll think that rich person is person with 50. If you go to the person with 50, they go, nah, the guy with 100. You go to the guy with 100, he says, nah, the guy with 200 is rich. In other words, while we're looking at what we don't have, we never feel truly rich. However, I've got to tell you this, and we learned this last week. If you live in this country, you already are rich. And I think that there comes a responsibility with being rich. We learned last week that people, um, rich people, are sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes bad at being rich. We want to learn how to be thankful for what we've got. And we want to learn how to be rich from where we are today. No matter how much you earn, no matter where you see yourself, how to be rich from where you are. Is that okay? You understand it? I'm not telling you to get rich. You got it? Awesome. I want to talk to you today about being prospered for purpose, about being prospered for purpose. You know, whenever I give um, something to my kids, whatever it is, I always have to explain to them the reason why I've given it to them. I have to explain to them the purpose behind why I've given them what I've given them. Well, I'll give you a good example, and this happens regularly. If one of my kids is in the kitchen and they say, Dad, can I have something to eat, like some treats or something? They say, no problem. And I say, here's some. And by the way, this is for you and for your brother. Because how many of us know that if I say, there you go, they're not going to automatically go with what they've got and distribute it between equally between you know them and their brother. And it works between the two of them. I have to explain to them, hey, what you've got here is not just for you. This is actually for someone else too. So you need to think about your brother. I want you to take this in there. I always increase the accountability as well around this time and say, hey, by the way, I'm going to ask your brother later if you ended up giving him half of that, you know, lollies or chocolate, whatever it is. I'm going to check up on you. You know, sometimes it still doesn't work, but, you know, it happens. That's kids, right? Well, actually, the truth is it's not even just kids. Uh, it, it happens amongst adults as well. I was reading the newspaper a couple of weeks ago, and I was reading an article and found out that the federal government had given uh, the state of Victoria $1.5 billion to build a West Link. Everyone know about this? 
And what has Daniel Andrews done? Well, let's not talk about that right now, but we live in the East, so I'm sure we'd probably prefer if they, they built the West Link for us, you know, but, but he's decided that they're not going to go ahead and, and build that. So you know what Tony Abbott did? He said, give me my $1.5 billion back. And Daniel Andrews is saying, uh-uh, I'm not giving anything back. And Tony Abbott's whole reason is, I gave you that money, not for you to just have so you could do whatever you want with it. I actually gave that to you for an intended and specific purpose. And it was on track until you got into power, Daniel Andrews. So this is the point. So even adults do this for, you know, amongst themselves from time to time. Can I tell you this morning that it's no different with God? Can I tell you this morning that when God gives us wealth or when He gives us, when He's generous towards us, that sometimes there are expectations that are attached to what God gives us and we would do well to listen and to pay attention to what He says we should do with what He has given to us. Yesterday, I'm uh, walking along the street with, uh, with my kids and we were in Mount Evelyn and um, we saw that there was a sausage sizzle at the, at the RSL in, in Mount Evelyn. So um, I said, all right, well, it's, it's down this way. And my son, Judah, he said to me, Dad, how do you know where the RSL is? He said, have you been there before? I said, no. He goes, well, how do you know where we're going? I said, it's easy. I saw a sign and the sign pointed me this direction. You know what? I hope that today is just like that that today we see a sign that points us in a direction that gives us an indication about how God would like us to spend our wealth, about how God would like us to be rich on the earth. Is that okay? Awesome. You're with me so far. Let me just bring up this first scripture. The Bible says in Psalm 65 and verse 11, You crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. You crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Our God gives abundantly. Our God gives abundantly. It's just what He does. It's who He is. In fact, one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God that provides. And when He provides he provides abundantly. That word bounty in the Hebrew says it means welfare, it means prosperity, it means happiness, it means blessing. And God blesses His people. You know, if you're a father, and God is our father, if you're a father, you want to see your kids do well, don't you? I know that I do. I want to see my kids prosper. I want to see them do well. I don't want to see them struggle and just sort of making it through. You know, oftentimes people are taught that God will only ever just supply exactly what you need. And sometimes there are stories where you hear where God gives the exact amount. But to be honest, whenever you hear that story, how many of us know that if we lean into the rest of that person's life, that He continues to give in other areas? Our God gives more than what we need sometimes. And before, you know, you may be answering that question inside your heart, if you are experiencing a sense of lack where you are today, can I just remind you what we learned last week, which is that you are rich, which is that you live in a country that is, uh, is far more better off than most of the global population. So the truth is, is that God gives to us and blesses us and, and, and helps to make us abundant. And it really doesn't even matter that I'm telling you that. It really matters if God says it. It doesn't matter if I say it. So you know what I thought I'd do this morning? I just want to share some stories. I want to share some illustrations that will actually help you to unpack that this is actually what God wants to do uh, with us on the earth, which is to bless us and bless us abundantly. The first story uh, is a story about the widow and uh, a widow in Zeph oh, it's, it's I've actually lost the word right now. Zarephath, gosh. 
lost the word, Zarephath. So here's the story about the widow of Zarephath. Elijah is um, uh, spending time with God and God comes to him and he says, I want you to go to this town. He says, okay, no problem. He says, when you get there, uh, I've commanded a widow to feed you. No problem. So Elijah gets up and he goes to this town and it says that when he gets close to the town, as he gets towards the gate, he actually sees this woman and she's, you know, walking around and she's picking up sticks and so forth. And he says to her, hey, would you mind bringing me a little bit of water? in a vessel to drink. And so the widow says, no problem, I'll I'll bring you this water. He says, by the way, he says, would you bake for me a a, a cake? Like I want you to make some some bread for me. She says, she turns and she sees the prophet. She says, look, as surely as the Lord your God lives, all I have in my house is a handful of flour and a little bit of oil. And right now I'm actually picking up some sticks that I may go home. I'm going to bake this bread and it's just enough for me and my son. We're going to eat it. And then you know what? We're going to die. It sounds a little bit dramatic, but this is the situation that she's in. So the prophet Elijah says to her, hey, listen, do not fear. Don't worry about that. Go home, do as you say, make the bread. And when you make the bread, bring me first, before you serve yourself, bring me first a portion of that bread and I'll eat it. And God will bless you and your flour will not be spent and the oil will not be spent and you'll have more than enough and more than what you need. She says, okay. So she goes ahead and does it. And the truth in the end of that story is, is that the flour did not run out and the oil did not run out and she was blessed abundantly. Now, the thing about that story is that the widow is completely set up by God, set up by God. So just recap for a moment. God comes and says to her, I want you to feed this prophet. She was commanded to feed the prophet. When the prophet shows up, she's given an option. She can be obedient to what she's heard or she can disobey God. But how many of us know that if she wasn't generous in that moment, that she really may have died? Because it was actually in the act of generosity that the blessing came from God. In fact, if she didn't be generous at that moment, that may have been her last meal. Since she was commanded by God and she heard Him, I can imagine the flower running out over a period of days. And she's saying, well, I don't know when this prophet's going to come, but apparently I'm going to have to feed him. And as the flower goes down and the oil goes down, she's like, well, this, this guy's probably got like, what, a couple days left. It gets to the very last day. Why, how do we know that? She's making her last meal. She gets down to the very last day, the prophet shows up and now she's got an option. Why do you think God let it be the last day? Do you know why? The portion that she had to give with him, to him was greater than it was a week ago because it was all she had. And what the point that he's making is, are you going to trust me with what you've got? I've commanded you, but are you going to trust me with what you've got? And in the end, we know the story is that she ended up getting blessed and blessed abundantly. Why? Because she was generous. That's not the only story uh, about a widow. In fact, just to uh, the next book over in 2 Kings chapter 4, not Elijah, but Elisha, he meets a, a, another widow. And the widow says, listen, um, speaks to Elisha, she says, listen, um, I was married to one of the sons of the prophets and my, my husband has died. And now creditors are coming to my door and they're asking for what we owe them. The only problem is we don't have anything. And you know what they're going to do if we don't pay them? If we don't pay them, they're going to come and they're going to take my children to work off the debt. Now that's something that we still see in the world today. Slavery still exists and, and we see that happen. And what happens if someone can't pay their debt? Well, they're 
children pay the debt by becoming that person's slave. And she's like, I've already lost my husband. I don't want to lose my child. I don't want to lose my kids. And you know, I can imagine her being in this situation and saying, you know, God, we've, we've served you and we've been faithful people. And, and now it feels like everything's about to be taken away from me. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that where you've been faithful with God and, you know, you're like, but I have served and I've loved you and all the rest of it. And it's not bad enough that my husband has died, but now the, the worst thing that could happen to me is going to happen. And she's sort of crying out to God. And so the, 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 the prophet Elisha says, listen, what do you have at home? She says, I've just got a, a, a jar of oil. That's it. He says, okay, I want you to take that jar. I want you to go back home, but I want you to borrow as many containers, as many vessels, anything that will actually hold oil. I want you to take that home and I want you to take the oil that you've got and I want you to begin to pour it out. And as you pour it out and as it fills up, I want you to set that container aside. And as the oil keeps flowing, you just fill up every container that you can. Can you imagine? It's like if I said to you, I want you to go to the ATM and keep drawing out money until the thing goes dry and you would just be hitting those buttons over and over again. This is the situation that she's in. I imagine they're getting at, they're sort of getting towards the end. They're like, do we have any more? Like turn your hat upside down. You know, it's like you would be filling up everything that you can. And when they'd filled up everything that they could, the oil stopped. And the prophet Elisha comes to her and says, hey, listen, I want you to take the oil that you've got, sell it, pay off all your debts, and then you and your family can live on the rest. And they lived on the rest. How? Because God didn't just give them what they needed. If He had have just met them where they needed it, it would have been enough to pay the creditors. But God said, no, 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 no. I see your faithfulness. I see your heart. I see what you've gone through. I will bless you and I'm going to bless you abundantly. And they lived on the rest. Is this just Old Testament? Nuh-uh. Think about it. In the New Testament, what happens? How many times have we seen these stories? You know, Jesus feeds a, five, uh, a crowd of 5,000. If you add women and children, 15,000 people. And so He feeds them. And then what happens? They collect five loaves and two fishes. They distribute it. They feed everyone. They end up collecting more than they had in the beginning. Why? Because God is a God of abundance. This is who we serve. And I believe it's God's will to prosper His people. But let me say this. Prosperity comes because principles are observed. Prosperity will come because principles are observed. Let me look at this. Let's look together at this scripture. This is um, Abram and, uh, and in Genesis chapter 14 verses 18 to 20. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, who brought out bread and wine, he was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. How many of us understand that that passage right there, when it says he delivered his enemies into his hand, he got the spoils of war. So he became instantly far more wealthy than he was before. Why? Not because he was mighty and not because he was powerful, but because God delivered his enemies into his hand. And then it says that Abram gave Melchizedek, who was the priest of God Most High, a tenth of everything. This is 400 years before the law was given. And he's just, we're seeing the principle of tithing right then and there in that moment. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. 
I'm not trying to do a message about tithing right now, but can I say this is that when he sees that God had blessed him, he took what he had and he honoured the priest of God. He honoured the priest of the Most High God by giving him a tenth of anything. It's the principle of honour. He said, look at everything that God's given to me. Is it all for me? And he gives him a tenth. Why? He's honouring God with what God has actually given to him. Jacob, same thing. This is just a few chapters later. Genesis chapter 28 says, The Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give, uh, all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So everything that I get, I'm going to give you a full tenth. I'm going to honour you back with what's given to me. I see that not all of this belongs to me. So I'm going to give you back. I'm going to honour you. And it says uh, later in, in chapters 30, And thus the man uh, increased or prospered greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. There's something about honouring God when He supplies to you that actually is a principle that when you observe it, it attracts prosperity to your life. It attracts provision to your life. Let me tell you a story. Um, years ago, uh, Sarah and I, some of you may know this story, Sarah and I, we were living in Mount Evelyn. We felt that we heard from God to sell our house, to buy some land and to build a house, And uh, which seems great. The only problem was after we bought the land, shortly after that, it devalued. So we lost, uh, you know, all of our, uh, uh, all the value that we had in the land. And so when we went to the bank and they and they revalued it, they said it's worth less now than what you paid for it. So so we, we, we weren't able to borrow the the amount of money that we needed to build the house. Well, we, we absolutely had heard from God. We believed that and we wanted to build it. So we went to the bank and we, we had asked them for this loan. They said, no, absolutely not. We're not going to give you this loan. Well, we didn't like that answer. So we decided that we would see another bank, right? And we went in the end, I think we went to about five or six banks. So I called up a mortgage broker and I said to him, listen, this is our situation. We've been to see about five or six banks and it seems to be the case that, uh, you know, they're sort of all rejecting us. You know, do you have any answers for us? He said, not only do I not have answers, but I need to clue you in on something. Did you know that there's a central register that when you apply for like a home loan that they record that you've applied for finance? He said, the problem with this now is, is that when you apply for a loan, you've been peppered with applications. And when you go to banks now and they look you up, they see that five or six banks have rejected your application for finance. They are less likely to give you a loan now than they ever were before. I said, what are you saying to me? He said, I'm saying you're not going to get that house. I'm saying sell the land. I'm saying recover your, your, your costs or whatever, but I, I'm saying just give up. I'm telling you right now, it's not going to happen. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like God said something to you and then someone turns around and says, it's not going to happen? You're like, but I heard God. They said, doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. You know, it's just, there's no way that you're going to get what you think you're going to get. Well, I don't like that answer. So anyway, I, I, I'm praying about it and I'm a little bit frustrated after I hear that. And I go home that night and I'm lying in bed and I, I, I can't sleep properly. So you know what it's like, you know, when you're, you're trying to get breakthrough in your life, you're not seeing it, you repent of everything you've ever done. And, you know, you try to bring up stuff and just in case I forgot about that and settle all your debts and, you know, whatever you got to do. And so I, I've repented of everything, even the stuff I haven't done yet. And, you know, I, and so I'm trying, yeah, I'm trying every angle. <laughs> How am I going to make this work? You know, I've got to break through somehow. So... So I'm praying and I go, you know what, I've had enough of this. So I get up, I, I, it's the middle of the night, must have been about one or two in the morning and I get out of bed 
And um, I creep out of the house and we're staying at my parents' house at the time and I creep out of bed and I lock the door and I walk from the house that we're in and I didn't, I didn't drive, I walked because I, ha- I needed prayer time on the way. So it's like two in the morning. Who walks around the streets of Murubak at two in the morning? Oh, you know, just pastors praying to Jesus, you know. It's not what you'd expect, you know. And uh, actually, every time I try to stick to the lights, you know, and then you can just sort of run through the dark and then stop in the light again, you know, because... I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. So, so I, I'm walking through and, and, and I get to the property and I stand at the edge of the property and I, and I see it, that, you know, the one where we definitely were not going to have this house, right? You know that one? Just spoke about it. So not going to have it. And I begin to prophesy in Jesus' name that everything that is coming against me would be broken, would be destroyed. I said, God, I heard you. See, sometimes you just need a little bit of guts in life. You know, you really do. Life sometimes pushes you around circumstances you know what I love about that? It just shows me how much more powerful God is than my circumstance. So I'm standing at the edge and, I'm, and I begin to speak over and say, in Jesus' name, I believe you said that we're going to have this. And so right now, I'm like drawing a line in the sand. I'm like, we will build this house. The banks will give us a loan. It's going to happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Finished, said what I had to say, went back, slept like a baby, just went to sleep. Well, we made another appointment back at the very first bank with the guy who was basically impossible to deal with, just wouldn't listen to us, didn't want to have a bar of us. And uh, just a few days before that meeting, I get a phone call and the, and the person says, listen, I'm really sorry, but the guy that you booked the appointment with, the mortgage broker, um, unfortunately, he's fallen ill and has to take extended leave. Now, I normally don't celebrate when someone gets sick, but I absolutely did in this time. Uh, you know, I'm like... You know, you don't think that God makes people sick, right? No, I'm sure he didn't do that, but it really worked in my favor. And so, uh, you know, this, I I get off the phone and they said, you're not going to meet with the mortgage broker anymore. Now you're going to meet with the branch manager. So I hang up the phone. This appointment, I think, was the next day. I hang up the phone and I um, turn to Sarah. I said, Sarah, I just had a phone call. And she said, what is it? I said, it was the bank. The guy that we're meeting with, we're not meeting with him anymore. She says, okay. And I said, I'm telling you right now, this is providence. I said, I'm telling you right now. I said, this whole situation, not saying that God made him sick, but I am absolutely saying that this is providence, that this is working out for us. I said, and the coolest part about it right now is that I already see that it's happening. So this is so great because I'm going to watch God's provision unfold in my life and I'm already clued into it. A lot of times we live in retrospect and we go, oh, I see what you're doing now. Now I get it. You're so much smarter than me. But this time uh, I saw it ahead of time. I said, God, I see what you're doing. This is providence. We get in there. We explained the same scenario to her that we tried with a number of banks. For some reason, this woman, it just made sense to her. So right then and there, we signed the paperwork for a house that we were never going to build for a loan that we were never going to have I get out of that meeting I call the builder and I say you better get over to my block and start building because we got the finance he's like great I think it was about three and a half months after that point we moved into the house that people said we would never ever have you know you're peppered with applications you're not going to do it sell it I said no way in Jesus name and we got there now it's a great story what is the point of that story I'll tell you the point There have been many times in my life where I could have compromised on my generosity towards God. And I certainly, I'm I'm, I'm no financial genius, nothing like that. I'm not saying that I'm really smart at all. There are just some principles that I've observed in my life. 
And one of those principles is that I always want to be generous towards God. I always want to be rich towards Him. And so because I've lived that lifestyle, I believe that it attracts God's provision because how many of us know that that situation was out of my hands? Do you know how I could have taken it into my hands? Just like the widow that tried to have the last meal for herself. I could have kept my tithe. I could have kept my giving. I could have cut out my generosity. And I said, nah. I said, I reckon God can do more with my 90% that I keep for myself than I could ever do with my 100%. So in the end, I said, you know what? I'm just going to keep doing everything that I've done before and just pray that you break through. The coolest thing about living this kind of lifestyle is you get stories like this. But you never get the stories if you don't live the life. And so, you know, I mean, I remember even meeting up with accountants and they say, you give what? And they're like, so is there a tax break there? I said, no tax break. Like you just, you just give it. And they, they, they couldn't understand the principle of being so generous towards the church that I was attending. And this was way before I came on staff to be a pastor. It's just a principle that I've employed in my life because why? I want to be rich towards God. I want to see His health flourish. I've always wanted that. Before I was pastor, in the church. I've always wanted to see God's house be built up and be strong and be a place where people can come and find hope. So I just, I just haven't stopped with that. And as a result, I believe that the house that got built that was impossible is a direct result of the faithfulness of our attitude and our heart towards Him. I'm telling you, I couldn't make this happen on my own. I actually needed His help with that. What's my whole point? When you, honor the, when you uh, observe the principle of honouring God, it attracts prosperity. Honouring God with your wealth means that you use what God's given you for its intended purpose. For its intended purpose. See, here's what you need to note. God has prospered you for purpose. God has prospered you for purpose. Now, the reason that you need to know that is because oftentimes rich people, which is you and I statistically across the globe, whenever we get something from God, it's so easy to assume that everything we get is for our consumption and we think it's for us. But actually, oftentimes what God wants us to do, He wants to bless us and we live the kind of lifestyle which gives us margin in our life so that we can actually give out of what He's given to us so that we can actually bless other people around us. And how many of us know out of last week's message that when we be rich towards people, we're being rich towards God? We got to learn to honour God with what He's given to us and see it for its intended purpose. Look at this scripture. This is a great one. It says, As for the rich in this present age, who do you think that applies to today? Right. Charge them not to be haughty. Haughty? What does that word mean? Does anybody see that and just skip it? It sounds like naughty, doesn't it? It kind of is, but it's not naughty. Actually, haughty means to be proud. It means to be arrogant. And what Paul is saying to Timothy in this passage here, he's saying, hey, charge, don't imply, don't ask, don't politely suggest, charge. He says, charge the rich people to not be prideful or arrogant with their riches. He says, and not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I can demonstrate that principle to you right now. If you get private health insurance and you're just setting yourself up so that if ever you get sick, that you're going to be looked after, right? 
until you get an incurable disease and suddenly your hope, if it's been in riches, will become very evident to you. Suddenly in that moment, anybody gets an incurable illness, they suddenly realise how much they really truly do need God. That's the uncertainty of riches. If I have enough wealth, I'm going to protect myself for the rest of my life. He says, hey, that would be such a foolish mistake. Your hope always comes from God. Your hope always comes from, from, from Jesus. So keep your eyes fixed on Him. He says, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What are we to do? So glad you asked. We are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. Generous and ready to share. That's what we spoke about last week. That's what it means to be noble. So we want to be generous to share, thus storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. So we can take hold of that which is truly life. You know, the thing about people when they're wealthy, wealthy people know how to make a good investment, don't they? Well, let me take you, tell you about a bad investment that wealthy people make. When wealthy people or rich people invest everything back into themselves and live a lifestyle that simply builds their own wealth, the scripture we just read says that that's a bad investment. Why? Because everything you store is here on earth. But if you look at the scripture we just read, they say, actually, when you give, when you're generous with what you've got, when you see purpose attached to how God's blessed you and you give out of what God's given to you, actually, everything changes. It, when, when, when you, in, instead of just storing your treasure on earth, you begin to store your treasure in heaven. Now, I, I don't know what you think about investment, but I think it's a better investment to store treasure in heaven where it's eternal than treasure on earth. Uh, which is the better investment to make? And he's saying, you know why? If rich people were really smart, they would learn to use what God's given them to bless others so that they could enjoy their treasure in eternity, not just here on earth. And this is the thing about rich people. This is the thing about, how, how, about being prosperous. Prosperity actually can distort our perspective. Prosperity causes us to see the world not the way that it is, but the way that we think it should be. And I, let me just show you one last scripture, which is uh, such a good illustration of how prosperity can trick the individual. You ready for this? Here we go. The rich man and Lazarus. It says there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. This guy's doing fine. The fact that he's wearing purple clothes is an indication that he is rich and that he's wealthy, and the fact that it's called a rich man. So it says, He feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered in sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. I think it's indicative of the Scripture that the man, the rich man, wouldn't even give him the crumbs off his table. It says, moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. They were kinder to the poor man Lazarus than the rich man was. Dogs were kinder than the rich man was. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham. The fact that he calls him father must mean that he was a Jew. It must mean that he was religious. It must mean that he understood what it's like to do life with God. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And sent Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, I don't know if you see what I see, 
But just in that scripture right there, it tells me that this guy still doesn't get it. How many of us understand that we can't take our wealth with us? Just put your hand up if you understand you can't take your treasure with you. All right, so you understand it, that you can't take your treasure with you. But you know what you do take after you die? You take your soul. You, you, you know, so what is that? It's comprised of your intellect, your wisdom, your emotional state. And this is what he's taken to Hades. So he takes his memories with him. He's still living like a rich man, even though he's in Hades and Lazarus is not. How do we know that? What does he say? He says, why don't you send Lazarus, sees himself as still above Lazarus. Hey, Abraham doesn't even address Lazarus himself, mind you. Why don't you send that guy to come help me? He still sees himself above him. He says, send Lazarus because I remember that guy. I saw him. His life is not worth much. I've seen that he's a poor man. He, you know, why don't you send him to come and to speak to me and to, and, and to help me? It says, but Abraham said, child, you remember that in your lifetime, you received good things and Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. Besides this between us, and you, there is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, this is what his reply is to Abraham. Uh, Abraham. He says, then I beg you, Father, this guy still doesn't get it. Would you send him to my father's house? Still doesn't address Lazarus, still doesn't speak to him. He still thinks he's the rich man and that Lazarus is the poor man. Well, then in that case, uh, Father Abraham, would you send him to my father's house for I've got five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, uh, no, they've got Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And, it, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said to him, if they do, do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. You know, that story, it really illustrates to me a pretty simple point, which is this. The rich man did not understand what his riches were for in his whole life. We only know a few facts about him, but it's indicative of the scripture that he read that he misappropriated the distribution of his wealth. Where did he spend it? On himself. Was he generous? No. After his life, he still went to the grave deluded. He still was in Hades thinking, I'm still a rich man. He didn't even get it after he arrived that in heaven, it's all different. After you die, it's all different. You don't get to take it with you. And the best thing that you can do with what God gives you is to honour Him by saying, God, where should I put what you've given me? Where should I redistribute the wealth that's been allocated to me? Because prosperity is potential. And this rich man had the potential to change the life of Lazarus and he chose not to. And how sad is it that we could live in a world where there are people that are rich and there are people that are wealthy and they select to not turn the, the potential that they've got into answered prayers for other people. I think that where there's a responsibility that lies upon us, there's potential. See, what you do, potential is simply how you could change the future. But like everything, it's an option. I think that's why there's still poverty in the world because people have options and they've selected what they want to do with their money. And to be honest, the world that we live in is a reflection of our choices. The world that we live in is a reflection of how Globally, we dis distribute wealth and resources. That's, we've got potential. 
there's, a, there's possibility to change the future. And I feel like that's something that we need to identify and understand. It needs to sit with us. We need to honour God. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.